With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. The conversation continues with Rick Munn and Natalie Cheel on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. Okay, it's Friday. (laughs) Yo, the 5th of January. Listen, I'm not one for saying, oh, it's the weekend. Oh, I'm so happy. But this week, mm, I'm happy. It's Friday. I'm going to enjoy my next few days off. Let me tell you that before I come back supercharged and ready to tackle the world head on again with my partner in crime, Natalie Chiel, on the Open Line Show on Monday morning. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here today. We still have a ton of stuff to get through this morning on Open Line and also on Locked and Loaded, just to give you a little flavor uh, of what's coming up in the next start. Natalie and I, of course, will be chewing the fat about all things politics, economics, madness, shenanigans, skullduggery, with a little bit of humor thrown in there for good measure. But we will also be talking to uh, John Mappin this morning, who's joining us from the UK, talking about uh, the John Pilger death this week and also the ongoing Julian Assange situation. We're also going to be joined by Claire Dyer, who is an anti-Ulez campaigner here in the UK. And Matt Nilsson will be beaming in from Sweden, of all places, talking about uh, Finland's accession to the EU, possibly, or not the EU, to NATO, possibly, and also the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. And lest I forget to do so, excuse me, this show is called Open Line. That means the lines, the telephone lines will be open for you lovely people to lift up the phone if you're feeling brave or extremely drunk or just a little bit mad to give us a call and we'll take calls if we need to in the last 10 minutes-ish of the show. So you've got plenty of time to prepare yourselves for what is incoming. So on that note, I'm going to inhale, tell you guys to stay tuned to the one and only TNT Today's News Talk, and we'll be right back with Natalie Chill. Don't go away. Bringing you a worldview. I like to hear what's going on around the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Natalie F. Chill. How are you doing yes. today? I'm very glad it's Friday too. I'm looking forward to the weekend very much. Yes. Brilliant. I've been thinking about your name this week, you know, and I know what the F stands for. I don't know if you want to make it public, but you sound like an American president. You know, you've got Donald (laughs) J. Trump. You've got George W. Bush. What a name that is, George W. Bush. And we have our very own Natalie (laughs) F. Chill. Maybe it's a premonition here. Maybe you could be the next president of America. Is that a possibility? Or are you sticking with Reading for now? I, I don't think I'd make a very good president of America. I don't think my accent would uh, go in very well. Uh, but no, uh, but you can guess, in fact, in the online chat. We've done this before. You can guess what the yeah. F stands for. Natalie mm-hmm. F. Chill. What do you think it is? Yes. Uh, place your bets. Place your guesses. Yeah, please your guesses. And we did this with my name. My first name is not actually Rick. That's my second name. I'm W. Richard Munson. It's almost like the George W. Bush. And I think you're the only person that doesn't know what that stood for because the time that everybody answered it correctly, the answer was revealed. And I still don't think you know what the W stands yeah, for. I but think anyway. someone said it. William. 
You're right. Is that right? You're right. Yeah, yeah, I got it right. Yeah, you got it. So I've been fully exposed here on TNT, at least in name terms anyway. So if you want to have a pop, I'm guessing what Natalie's middle name is. Begins with an F. I'm not going to tell you how many letters it is. And yeah, you can feel free to leave us your thoughts and comments and opinions in the live chat. So we'll jump straight into this, Natalie. Uh, Gemma's not with us this morning, by the way. She is uh, off today. So we're going to be just talking on as normal. Yesterday, I don't know about you, but genuinely the post office story that was covered and I didn't even realize it made a TV series about it because I don't normally watch uh, the television. But when I started to dig into this a little bit more and unearth some of the stories of the individuals that have been affected by this, I'm not going to lie, I was blown away. Natalie, this isn't a case of unfair dismissal. It wasn't a case of uh, a few people uh, were wrongfully accused and they've been reinstated and they've had compensation. We're talking about over 700 lives, literally, that were ruined over the period of 16 years by the post office and their accounting software uh, suppliers. And the people that are responsible for the post office, some of them are clinging on to titles like CBE and DM this and one thing and another. I don't know if you dwelt on it much, probably not. You've got other things going on in your mind, but that story for me was a real uh, shocker when I saw the depth and the extent of the damage that's actually been done by the innocuous little post office. Yeah, I remember reading about this story about six months ago and uh, Paul, who came on yesterday, we discussed it uh, quite a bit amongst ourselves. So I, I knew about what was uh, going on, but it is good that it's really getting uh, some uh, pushing it in the mainstream yeah. media now, basically, because it wasn't getting any any headlines at all. Uh, this new TV adaptation is really telling people what's happened. And I think people now suddenly are up in arms. People's lives were ruined. Mm -hmm. You know, people had taken, taken their life. Uh, some people were imprisoned. And, and you know, like like you said, the uh, the person who, who was actually the yeah, chief executive at the time happens to, happens to have a CBE, doesn't she? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you, Natalie, the reason why I've highlighted this little thread that I want to delve into, at least yeah. for a few minutes with you here this morning, is we have tried to give on TNT radio, we've tried to give a voice to people that have been, say, for example, vaccine injured or had their lives ruined because they didn't comply with vaccine mandates. And I think the government would like nothing more than for people just simply to remain as statistics, to remain nameless, not to have a face, not to have a voice, not even to have a name put to their case. And this thread, I just want to highlight a few names of it. And as you rightly pointed out, uh, CBE, uh, is the highest ranking order of the British Empire. And it's a award that's supposed to be given to people to recognize a positive impact that they've had uh, in their place of work. So Paula Venels uh, having a CBE from the post office, does that not make a mockery of the award? And I want to give a couple of examples here. This is uh, horrific. Uh, Fiona McGowan, a lady called Fiona McGowan, killed herself after being charged with false accounting over 30,000 pounds that went missing in inverted commas from her Edinburgh branch. She was only 47 years of age when she was driven to end her own life in 2009. Her sons were 12 and 14. There is no honor in that. Now, I know she's a little bit older than you, but I'm thinking about you being a mother of two sons there in and around that age as well. You get accused of something that you didn't do. Uh, you get vilified. You maybe lose your job. You possibly go to prison. You kill yourself. What the hell kind of way is that uh, to, to treat people 
and for the, the, to retain to have the audacity and the brass neck to retain your CBE when you're responsible for at least indirectly the death of this lady Fiona McGowan. I think the decent thing to do would be to take it back yourself and say, you know, um, although I wasn't fully aware of it, or even if you made some excuse, you know, you, it, the decent thing uh, for the victims would be at this point to give it back. I wonder, because a lot of people, I saw a Tory, Tory minister had asked at the start of the week that she uh, have, it, have it taken off her, um, and other people now are saying the same thing. I wonder if there's enough uh, public voice behind it um, it might actually happen because I did look this morning and people have been stripped of knighthoods I remember Jimmy Jimmy Savile uh, they said they couldn't because when you die apparently uh, it automatically gets taken off you anyway uh, okay. but it is possible that she could uh, be stripped uh, stripped of it uh, if they can prove that actually she didn't do any good services uh, to 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 the UK. And you, you've got to argue this has been one of the biggest miscarriages of justice or possibly the biggest so far, if you don't include the whole uh, COVID scam. And she's been awarded for being in charge at the time of the biggest miscarriage of justice is 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 mocking the victims. And I think if you were part of that and you had your life ruined, it would be very, very upsetting. It would. And I think there's one thing that the post office and possibly the government are hoping and praying for at this time is that this story blows over, uh, that it's replaced by other massive stories, maybe about wars and destruction or terrorist attacks that take people's focus away from it. And that's one of the reasons why at least uh, I'm going to try and see if we can get some people on maybe open line uh, or locked and loaded that have been victims of a miscarriage of justice through the post office, through this uh, shenanigans and skullduggery and see if we can get them on for a chat. Just a couple other examples. Mm -hmm. And I mean, folks, there's 700, 700 people. This lady that we've talked about, uh, her name was uh, Fiona McGowan. That's just one person. Peter Holmes, former police officer, was accused of taking £46,000 from his post office in Newcastle. He died of a brain tumour in 2015, having never seen his name claimed. There is no honour in this. Peter Huxham ran a branch in Devon where £16,000 went missing. was found in July 2020, uh, 2019, weeks after he had died. He had been wrongfully jailed for eight months and his marriage of 22 years was destroyed by the strain of this case. Julian Wilson's Worcestershire branch saw 27,000 go missing. Post office pursued a prosecution, repossessed his house, repossessed his car. He died of bowel cancer in 2016 after fighting to restore his reputation for a decade. His name was only finally cleared in 2021, five years after he died. Natalie, this is this is three, these, three or four examples. Can you imagine if we were to sit and go through the entire uh, list of 700? What a horror we, story that would make. We couldn't get through that list in the hour, I expect, uh -huh. with, all, with, with all the awful things that have happened to these poor people. The only thing I would say about this story is I wonder why it was allowed. We know the mainstream media, the legacy media, they all kind of work together. Now, it's unusual that ITV let this drama, and it was a four-part drama. I saw lots of people watching it. You know, I wonder why now? Why now? And why are they letting it come out? And why have ITV done this big dramatization of it? So, you know, maybe there'll be more answers to come. But there, there'd be a reason why now the mainstream media are putting it out there. And maybe we'll get some answers. And I, I hope that it will be that people have properly compensated because there are still lots and lots of victims that are waiting for their money.
Yeah, they are. And, and I'm thinking as well, possibly one of the reasons, to answer, a possible answer to your question is why are they letting this come out? Because, of course, they try and control the narrative as best they can. I think it's the yeah. scale of this, Natalie. If it was just you and me, for example, we're, and Murray were accused of misappropriating funds out of a huge organization like the Post Off, you could arguably, arguably bury that. But remember, this figure of 700 people, it's very, very hard to disguise 700 miscarriages of justice and 700 lives ruined. And I think they've maybe tried to keep a lid on it for as long as they can. But of course, as you say, uh, they've now made a TV series about it. How accurate that is, I'm not sure because I haven't actually seen it. But it's interesting that this is actually being revealed at this particular we, uh, point in time. We did uh, set a... Uh... Uh, mate, we didn't have time yesterday uh, to say it, but there was also another CEO. Um, I can't remember his name, Adams Cross, I think it was, and uh, he happened to be uh, the CEO of the Royal Mail, Royal Mail before Paula Venables. He then went mm. moved to ITV. He was taken out of the documentary on an ITV oh. documentary because he moved from Royal Mail to the CEO of ITV. So just to, just shows you how they can miss little bits of information if they so choose the mainstream media, even when they're representing a miscarriage of justice. So yeah, yeah. There, there's that little point there as well. And people people aren't very happy at the minute. Uh, people are a little bit hacked off with what's going on in life at the minute. Just uh, before we pause for a break and bring on our first guest, there was a, a story highlighted yesterday, an astonishing moment. A defendant leapt at a judge over a court bench in Las Vegas and attacked the judge. I don't know if you guys have seen that footage, but how that guy managed to vault across his table, across the judge's bench, grab hold of her, attack her. Then the security piled on as well. It seemed to take them a little bit too long. I would have thought to pull that dude off that uh, female judge or uh, maybe she wasn't very well liked and I maybe think they were happy to see her getting attacked but it seemed to be very bizarre um, I think he was just a very strong man I've watched the video mm -hmm. several times because one of the people got quite seriously injured who was trying to pull him off uh, the, I think the judge didn't get that badly injured but okay. um, it just shows you we've just we've discussed this before about having screens up and and uh, and why people like defendants sometimes need to be handcuffed because whoa he she he could have easily killed that that judge and, and he yeah. must have been some type of athlete so i'm telling you if i tried to jump <laughs> jump up to a judge <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't even get very far it would be a bit embarrassing I, it was like it was like he was an athlete like a high jumper i can just about manage a, a tall curb now when i'm out walking yeah. around town. the fact of thought <laughs> of leaping I mean. over a table and then a bench on top of that uh yeah, yeah. but they're so Fair high up those him. judges in the in the u.s yeah, yeah it was if nothing else you know he's going to go down for a lot more time it was it was it was a show of, of, of pure athleticism so he could have been an ex uh, olympic long jumper for all we know maybe we'll dig a little bit further into that but he definitely had some type of superpower or motivation yep. to get at that judge yesterday we've got to take a uh, a little pause now, folks. Uh, take a little break before we welcome on our first guest of the day. Uh, John Mappin and Natalie will be talking to him about uh, Julian Assange and the death of John Pilger when we come back after this short break here on TNT Today's News Talk. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? 
right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. I, I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's completely gone off kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Chief Division Counsel and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. Today's News Talk Radio. Come on, let the man talk. We never censor our hosts. Good. Now, talk. Uncensored News. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Welcome back to TNT. Uh, don't forget you can call at the end of the show and uh, get on the online chat as well. Uh, I've had a quick look on there. Uh, at the, later on, we can uh, say the guesses for my name. And uh, we can also uh, say lots of people were sad to see Katie uh, uh, have her last show. Uh, so get on there and have a look. Uh, lots of comments. Uh, we can now welcome John Mappin to the show. He's a businessman, media group owner and a geopolitical commentator. And we're going to be talking about the death of John Pilger. Now, I've got to say, John, I actually didn't know much about him. Knowing my age, a lot of his best work was before my time. So uh, how do you remember John, the Australian journalist? Well, John, I, 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 John Pilger uh, worked for our uh, group of companies in London as a journalist uh, for about five years. So I got to know him pretty well. And um, uh, very often, uh, well, we would print uh, an article of his every every week in our uh, newspaper. And uh, he was always on the cutting edge of exposing uh, the truth about what was going on in various different war zones uh probably the the single most effective war correspondent of our time really uh and in many ways was a sort of preemptor of of julian assange um he 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 really uh, exposed uh many of the falsehoods of war uh and probably contributed to the ending of several conflicts 
Yeah, I mean, I um, had to do a lot of reading. So I was reading a lot of his obituaries and uh, he was praised and pillared. Uh, I can see, you know, so some um, obituaries were, uh, as you've done, given him uh, a very respectful uh, the way they spoke about him. Others shown absolutely like dislike. Why do you think that many uh, were talking about him in such a bad way? Well, I think he cost the uh, the military industrial complex a great deal of money. I was I was horrified to read his uh, obituary in the Times of London, uh, which was uh, absolutely a disgraceful obituary. Um, and um, somebody pointed out to me, and I, I read it the other day, it was absolutely horrendous. But of course, what you've got to realize is when you speak truth to power, and you go up against the the military industrial complex, you know, the the, the arms trade or the, the military ordnance uh, supply line uh, on 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 this planet at the moment is 2.2 trillion dollars a year. I think it's gone up from 1.6 trillion, um, and that is an awful, awfully large budget. Um, and the people who are involved in that business simply don't want their shenanigans exposed, and uh, that's what John did. So, in a way, I, I suppose you could say it's a badge of honor, but uh, it, it's really uh, not right uh, to. But for the times we've said what they said. Yeah. And and does it also show in terms of the mainstream media, the legacy media, that, that that they're scared about some of what some of these independent journalists are actually going to say? Uh, the more they push against them, uh, as they did the Times, it actually shows that he was possibly talking against uh, the whole narrative and agenda. Well, it's a whole narrative, but also it shows who owns in reality, who really owns these publications. Um, and um, uh, what one realizes uh, as a media observer is that many of these outlets are simply puppets or, or mouthpieces for those uh, individuals or those groups that, that, that fund them. And um, it, it, they sort of run on a pay-to-play basis, really. So it was, it was quite revealing, actually, to read The Times uh, and to see who it is that uh, clearly John had, had, had pissed off in his life. And he did. He definitely did. I mean, he was he was uh, completely against unnecessary war and he fought against it for his entire life and uh, really a remarkable spirit. And in recent years, he campaigned for the release of Julian Assange. Have you got any questions, Rick, uh, regarding that for John? Well, John, it's interesting just to listen to you talk. Uh, obviously, you said he was a, a you know a predecessor of Julian Assange. They're both cut from the same cloth. Uh, with the death of John Pilger, uh, you know, it's almost like a, one of the old hands, one of the old guards has now passed away. We're seeing a big rise at the minute, and you would be keeping an eye on this, obviously, being in the media business yourself, of a lot of investigative journalism, a lot of independent media rising up at the minute. Uh, do you think we are seeing a passing of the guard of such, maybe not everybody's even close to the caliber of John Pilger, but do you find that in the current climate that we're in at the minute, the like of TNT, for example, the like of independent media outlets that are rising up, people raising their voices, is that something you think if Pilger was around to comment on it today uh, that he would be happy to see? I think John Pilger would be delighted with the work that you do, Rick. I have to say that. And um, it's a big old pair of shoes to fill, but uh you know that you you you're you're telling the truth is is there is a rise in freedom of speech i don't think that even as as uh 
as vast as the as the deep state machine is, they're ever going to get the genie back in the bottle. I think that the planet now expects uh, free speech networks. Elon Musk has really uh, opened things up and is allowing people to communicate much more freely on Twitter, although there is still some shadow banning and censorship there. Um, there's no question that John was a, was a pioneer, Julian Assange, uh, an incredible pioneer. Um, but many, many more people are now coming forward and realizing that it's the only really road to freedom. And I think we're moving into a multi-polar media world um, where there are multiple sources of freedom of speech, which is what we need. We need another five Twitters, really, or X's as they're now called. And we need more TNT radios as much as it's nice to have a monopoly. Uh, we need more and more people uh, and more and more outlets uh, dedicated to free speech. Right. And before before we go, John, uh, what do you think it will be Julian Assange's possible final appeal in February? Um, have you got any thoughts on that before we have to say goodbye? Well, he he, he should certainly be released. Uh, he's done more than enough time by anybody's standards for, uh, I mean, arguably, he, he, he hasn't even done anything wrong. I think he was acting as a journalist. Um, whether or not you like what he released, uh, and of course, what he released was a tremendous embarrassment to those people that profit from wars and to governments. Um, but uh, to my mind, he was simply acting as a journalist. And it is a completely primitive society that locks up its journalists for uh, exercising the simple right of, of of being a journalist. So, you know, my own view is, is he should have been released months ago uh, and probably should never have been um incarcerated for for this uh, alleged crime in the first instance. I, I don't believe he's committed a crime. And I think millions of people around the world uh, agree with my position um, and he should be released. But uh, let's see what happens. Well, I absolutely agree with you. I'm sure Rick does too. Uh, we need to live in a world where journalists can speak out and actually say the truth. And we will continue to do so on TNT here. I want to say a big thank you to John for coming on. You can find him at X at, at John Mappin. And we've got to take a break for the headlines now. Uh, uh, but more to come here at today's News Talk. We're ready. We're ready. News. News. The news is our business. And we never close, never close. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The US is now accusing Russia of teaming up with North Korea, claiming the two countries are now arming each other. A 17-year-old boy has gone on a shooting rampage at a high school in the US. A second batch of previously sealed court documents pertaining to dead pedophile Jeffrey Epstein have been released. And the number of people missing in Japan following New Year's Day's devastating earthquake has jumped to 242, while the official death toll nears 100. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio.
Okay, we are beaming at you live this morning from our bunker in the Gold Coast in Australia. But of course, our tentacles reach right across the world here this morning. Uh, I'm talking, or we will be talking right now to uh, Claire Dyer. Claire is based in the UK and she is an anti-Ulez campaigner. Now, Claire, up until this year or six months ago, no one was being introduced as anti-ULES campaigners. People didn't even know what ULES was, let alone the fact that there were other people in the world out there campaigning against them. But Sadiq Khan, I think, has unleashed a monster within London, at least with these ULES zones and these cameras and people being fine. And people are now taking to the streets, performing acts of, how would you say, uh, I don't want to call it, va well, vandalism is supposed technically in the eyes of the law, but born from frustration. And I'm not saying, of course, that you advocate any uh, destruction of public property, but you are vehemently opposed to these ULES zones and the ULES schemes in London. Why is that? Tell the world why it's such a big deal. Why don't you just move on with things and just let things rest? Or is it really that bad? Oh, hi, thanks for having me on, firstly. Um, You're welcome. It really is that bad because I think it's it's about what it's going to be moving on to. So essentially, the ULES is a congestion charge, which we already had in London anyway, in the inner cities. And what he did was he expanded it out to the suburban areas um, of all London boroughs within the M25 motorway. And most of these boroughs are in the countryside. So where I live... I live in the bottom of a valley and I'm surrounded by hills, countryside, farms, you know, horses, lots of lanes. Um, so once it expanded out to here, uh, it, it was it was also very obvious as well that our air quality is very, very good as well. It always has been and it still is. Um, it, it was the fact that we don't have the public transport that London does. So a lot of people, especially obviously globally, um, when they think of London, they do think of, you know, the city of London, lots of traffic, lots of vehicles, you know, the buses, um, the underground tubes. We don't have that here. We have a bus service, but it's not very good. And we have parts in our area that don't have a bus service. So people have to walk before they can even get to a bus. And our first local town is a good 15 minutes drive away by buses, minimum 30 minutes. So what it's done is for people who don't have compliant cars and there doesn't seem to be any logic with the cars that are compliant because you can have a three litre, four litre petrol engine that's compliant and, and a 1.2 that isn't compliant. So that, that's become quite confusing. So it seems to be a bit of a pick and choose, really. So we we also in our area, in our borough, we come under the Bromley borough, we have the highest rate of elderly. So what it's done is there's a lot of people around here, and that's just my borough, that now don't have compliant cars. The scrappish scheme wasn't very good because obviously their vehicles devalued. They haven't been able to afford to buy a new vehicle. So therefore they are essentially locked down. They can't go out. They're getting neighbors to do their shopping. They're just their local shopping for them. It, it, it's ruined a lot of people's lives, um, you know, mentally um, in terms of their freedom and also financially. And we know that this is to be extended you know, there's been a lot of lies. There's been a denial of what is called Project Detroit, basically Project Detroit, which the technology is already up and running for this. I think back in 2019, I might be wrong on that. It's around about that time. It, that's paper mile. 
So that will be coming to everybody, pay per mile, essentially. And what he also wants to do is, so our mayor is uh, one of many mayors globally that is part of C40 cities. So this isn't just an initiative in the UK and London. It is actually a global initiative. And we already have other cities who have their own ULES zone um, or CAS zone, if you like. So Bristol, Birmingham, and there's a couple of others as well. The charges aren't consistent either. So I think Bristol's is £9. They also get um, six days to pay. We get three. Um, so there's no consistency there. So it is looking to be expanded nationwide. He has, Khan has said he wants to expand this nationwide. And there is also a government initiative, essentially, uh, Wales has one as well, um, to uh, reduce private ownership of vehicles. So it, it is to be extended and it will affect everybody. Well, uh, I think so something something else important that you just brought up there in case I missed this is this ULES fee, for example, that's that's charged to someone if you you know you venture into a certain area and your vehicle isn't clean enough, you could be charged up to what twelve pounds fifty every time that you do that. But you also mentioned that you have three days to pay that. If you don't pay that, that charge will continue to rack up. And it's not a one-off charge or a monthly charge. It's every time you're caught on camera going into yes. a certain zone. So the cost that that would put on the average traveller living in London that doesn't have a compliant car or can't afford to upgrade their compliant car, if you multiply that up over the course of a year, you could be talking about thousands and thousands of pounds year after year after year. That's just not uh, viable for many people that are already struggling to make ends meet in and around London. Well, even if you pay the daily charge because you already live in the ULS zone, so for for people who don't have compliant cars that are still having to use them, the second they pull them off their drive, that's a £12.50 charge daily. Mm -hmm. You charge that, times that by seven, times that monthly, times that a year. You know, it, it's almost a mortgage, you know, yeah. monthly. It, it's it's a crazy amount, especially in a cost of living crisis. You know, people just can't afford it. You know, every, everything's gone up. Mortgage rates have gone up, it, it, you know, uh, gas and electric, everything. So, you know, to have this on top and where's the logic? Because if this is about net zero and it's about air pollution and, and NOx, basically, um, it's okay as long as you pay the £12.50 per day. Yeah. Then it's okay. How does that improve air quality? Well, that's the thing. And even if it, uh, you know, it can't pushing it from a, a you know a health point of view you know it, it, you pay this fee it doesn't stop you still you can still pollute the atmosphere and you can still kill people in his eyes you know by respiratory diseases as long as you're happy to stump up at twelve fifty for it I want to get I want to get Natalie's input with a story here that will want to bounce off of you and I want to get Natalie's input in this one as well uh, based on what you've just said and how passionately you're speaking about this people are obviously taking action to sabotage these cameras and not pay them but uh, Sadiq Khan allegedly has now employed uh, masked thugs to protect the ULES cameras and also to enforce these ULES zones. Natalie, you and I have been covering this, you know, for, yeah. since it really started, which is going back quite a long time now. Has it got, it's hard to believe it's got to this point where Khan's actually employing, employing a goon squad to enforce this, uh, people taking action against these cameras. What do you think? Yeah, when I first saw the story, Claire, I thought it was a joke. I thought there's no way the government can be employing like these these people. I saw the photos and they they look like they look like thugs. I've seen an interview with you before saying that you're quite petite. I I also am at five foot two. I feel I had a couple of those guys coming up to me in the middle of the street. I would I'd be scared. 
I would be intimidated, but it's like they it's the loophole, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it needs to be corrected. They're only um, the, the security are only covering the mobile units. So right. to put in, obviously, we have static cameras and they're all over the, um, London. Um, there is a distinction. So those cameras are being vandalized, whether that's they're putting stickers on them to block the view. So the security okay. came out on the mobile van units. And these mobile van units were actually deployed to the five boroughs that actively opposed Ulysses and took Khan to court, where which they lost obviously last July. So it was almost it almost felt like it was a form of punishment because that's the only areas they are covering, which happens to be Essex, Havering, obviously Bexley, Bromley, but on the boundary. So Biggin Hill, we we are on the boundary of the Ulysses. You then got Coulston, which comes under Croydon, Sutton area, and then if you go sort of up to the north. East, west you've got hillenden area so they're they're where the vans are deployed and this is the security basically guard those vans so we're right. peaceful protesters if you like we all we do is stand there at that van i mean they've been at the end of my road and we hold a banner that blocks the view of that camera it's not illegal um, because they're not uh, speed cameras, they're not used by the police, they're essentially private. So we're legally allowed to block them as long as we don't obviously cause any criminal damage, which we don't. So, yeah, they, they stand on the streets. Um, they are masked up. They, well, balaclava, I say masked, you know, there's a difference between wearing a surgical mask and wearing a balaclava with skeletons all over it and sun, yeah. dark sunglasses and hoodies. So, um, you know, and if if someone like us was just loitering on the street, you know, teenagers, whatever, people would think it was suspicious. People would probably be reporting it to the police thinking that they're about to commit a robbery. Yet it seems that they're allowed to do this. Yet TFL run sites do have a dress code. If you're on the underground or the, the buses, um, they have to wear high fears. They have to be easily identifiable. identifiable. And although they aren't employed directly by TFL. They are TFL representatives and they will say we are TFL representatives and that's how they are representing TFL. It's, so it's, it's a sad, it's a sad state of affairs that now instead of being identified by a high visibility, high visibility jacket it could be a balaclava uh, with a skull imprinted on it uh, that could be the way to differentiate these guys one from the other but listen i just thought would end that that's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek humor here but unfortunately that's what's actually happening claire we've got a call time in this one as per now but i have no doubt in my mind that this topic this uh, story isn't going anywhere over the course of 2024 so maybe if you would be kind enough uh we could use your services to get updates in this throughout the remainder of the year and in the meantime just a huge thanks for taking the time out uh, to come on here this morning onto TNT okay. today's news talk so thank you very much to thank Claire you. Dyer we've got to take yeah. another little break right now and when we come back we're going to be joined by Mats Nilsson beaming in from Sweden so plenty more still to come before the top of the hour here on TNT we'll be right back I'm Naheem Hines professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association my mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle. But MDA helped her get the best treatments and care, and they also help kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan, and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. 
from day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. AMDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at MDA.org today. I'm Cal Fire Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez. And normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires. But given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year, we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov. This is a place for crazy people. Natalie Cheel and Rick Mott. Okay, uh, we're motoring towards the end of the show here, uh, but we still have plenty to squeeze in before the top of the hour. We're very happy to be joined for the first time here this morning on Open Line by Mats Nilsson. And Mats is currently located in an undisclosed location in Sweden, and he reliably informs me that it's currently minus... 23 degrees celsius where he is right now and he's more than happy to be sitting inside his lodge nice and toasty warm talking to us here on tnt mats welcome to the show how are you doing uh, thank you very much oh i'm doing uh, absolutely fabulous i'm on vacation in, in the north of sweden uh, perfect weather uh, great skiing conditions and uh, a bit cold though so uh I, i'm not sad to be prolonging uh chasing the kids in the slopes today <laughs> okay well mats uh for anyone that's not aware mats is a journalist he's also an author and he's a traveler and he's absolutely opposed to nato or at least to the current incarn incarnation of nato at the moment we we'll want to talk to you very briefly this morning Nat, about uh finland's accession to nato nato of course uh was brought up uh against the ussr at the time but when the soviet union collapsed arguably there was really no cause to have nato uh, to remain in place. Uh, however, since it, uh, the USSR did collapse, NATO has been expanding, 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 and now uh, Finland is mooted to uh, access into NATO. What's with this constant expansion? And, you know, is Putin right to be worried that uh, NATO is literally knocking on all his doors? Um, I, yeah, for, first of all, yes, uh, Russia and um Putin and uh, the Russian government should be worried because NATO, uh, for all intents and purposes, is just an extension of uh, America's hard power. America has always had a soft power sway over Europe, but but NATO is the hard power. 
that the United States uses to uh, uh, uphold its uh, Pax Americana. And there is always in America and in uh, the Western countries been a dream about trying to break up uh, the Eurasian continent and especially break up the Russian Empire. So when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, I think I, I know there were people in, in the West and in, in Washington that saw this as an opportunity to take piece by piece to to create a new fragmented Yugoslavia out of Russia. Now they were well, well on their way in the 90s. I, I lived I lived in Russia and worked in Russia myself during the 1990s and. Uh, the poverty and the squalor I witnessed what was just appalling. Uh, thank God Russia gained a politician uh, that saw what was coming. And since 2007, Putin has put up a fight, so to speak, against this expansion. Mm -hmm. uh, now the expansion has gone faster due to the fact that the powers that be used Russia's intervention in Ukraine to quickly expand. Uh, if, if you would have asked me three years ago, ish, will Finland ever join NATO? I would have said definitely no. If you'd asked me, would Sweden join NATO? I would have said perhaps. But uh, the circumstances made up for a perfect propaganda storm. The people of Finland and Sweden were quickly bombarded by propaganda about the dangers of the evil Russian bear. And you have to remember, historically, it's not difficult to drum up a fear scenario for Swedes and Finns in relation to Russia. Because for, for the last thousand years, we have been at war with Russia at one time or another. For I mean, I think we've had Sweden has uh, had 12 wars with Russia and 13 with Denmark. So it's quite easy to drop up this aggression. And um, what's happening now in Finland, uh, if, if I were Putin, I would be worried about one thing. I wouldn't be worried about Finland invading because Finland's uh, defense forces are focused on one thing, and that's defense. They are not an offensive uh, military. However, uh, since Finland has said that American bases can be placed in Finland, what could happen is that an American missile base could be placed in the south of Finland, and that's basically within sight of St. Petersburg, the second biggest city in Russia. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that's like saying that the Chinese were able to place missiles in Maryland uh, that close to Washington or New York, or the, Cu the obviously Cuban look at look that, at the Cuban missile crisis, yep. the shenanigans that happened with that. Whenever uh, Russia wanted to place uh, missiles in Cuba, uh, the the reaction from America it's almost like the Cuban missile crisis in reverse. If they want to take uh, Finland, that's within you know you can have a peek over the garden fence almost and see Saint Petersburg. You can understand why there's a kickback against this. Exactly. And that, that's the point I, I always try to make when, when you talk about diplomatic solutions. Uh, this is pushing it, this is going a bridge too far. Uh, any, any country uh, 
with, with a, mo, mo, a kind of a Monroe Doctrine. I mean, the, the Monroe Doctrine can also be applied to Russia. Russia has said this is a clear red line, and they've said so since 2007. But sadly, I believe since NATO keeps pushing this expansion, NATO wants a simmering conflict with Russia. They want this proxy war because that gives them a reason to continue to have a continued existence. And also, of course, it gives the military industry huge, huge profits along the way. And as we all know, the military industry and the politicians are, are in a cozy cohabitat together. So it's it's a basically a perfect storm for continued, hopefully uh, low intensity warfare warfare between NATO and Russia for at least the coming five years. But but once you unleash the power of uh, the power of violence, it can quickly escalate as it did between 1913 and 1914. Uh, there are obvious parallels to what happened when we sleepwalked into the First World War. And now where the politicians are sadly sleepwalking into perhaps a Third World War with extremely dire consequences. And... Um, uh, I think the Finnish politicians are aware of this, and uh, but but they succumb to to uh, demands from the Washington masters to quickly join NATO. Uh, speaking of these uh, wars, uh, uh, Matt, and I want to get uh, Natalie's input in this one as well here, uh, the Ukraine uh, special military operation, as Russia called it, in Ukraine will be coming up to its second anniversary in February, which is just next month. That's been going on for the best part of two years now. But of course, there was a lot of build up to that from you know the, the Maidan coup going back to 2014. Tensions have been building in that area for some time. Do you think, uh, Natalie, or do you hope and believe that we could see the end or a resolution of sorts to the Russia-Ukraine conflict this year as it's almost being replaced by the uh, Middle East conflict now that kicked off on October the 7th? Or what, what do you think, uh, I mean, Natalie, or what do you want to ask? I mean, I'm, I'm no expert on this conflict. I mean, I'd been reading about NATO expansion and obviously they want to get Sweden in and they want to get Ukraine a part of NATO as well. So I'm assuming, as, as Matt uh, said, that if they could possibly get both on board, then it, it could possibly possibly be NATO against Russia as well. So, uh, you know, I don't know if, if, if that what you think possible, Mats. I, I, I don't think we will have a NATO-Russia war in, in the short uh, term, mainly due to the fact that uh, capitalism kind of makes it impossible for NATO to go on a war footing. Uh, the, the NATO military industry is basically charging uh, $800 for an uh, artillery shell, whereas Russia is paying just $100 for the same artillery shell. Uh, Russia, the Russian economy has been put on a self-sustained war footing. Russia is basically ob uh, oblivious to the risks of further sanctions because they're self-contained now and they're quickly producing and enhancing their military 
NATO, especially uh, NATO in the West, in the European area, not, not the American continent, NATO isn't even close to putting their economy on a war footing. Um, they're they're basically out of ammunition. They're out of equipment almost. And just today, I read read in the British uh, tabloids that uh, the UK has to scrap two navy ships because they don't have enough sailors to man these ships. So I I know that the NATO generals uh, are well aware of the fact that it would be impossible for them to escalate to a full NATO-Russian war. That's why they're so happy to continue to use Ukraine as a proxy to try and destabilize Russia, sadly, mm. because what they're doing is they're fighting to the last Ukrainian. And I don't think that the war will end next year because Russia has no incentive to uh, re-establish negotiations. I think Russia now is going for the full goal of occupying all of South southern Ukraine and basically landlocking Ukraine uh, because they, they know it's now or never. If they start negotiations, it's just going to be with as it was with the Minsk negotiations. The Western European nations will try and stall in order to rearm Ukraine. So, uh, no, I do not believe that the war will end next year, sa sadly. Yeah, because it's getting to the point now, and that's where uh, it's not just young uh, men are being conscripted into the army. You know, uh, older people are being conscripted in there. Uh, much younger people are being. Uh, the loss of life is off the scale. No one has exact figures because depending on who you talk to, you'll get figures uh, of deaths from the Russian side. You'll get figures of deaths from NATO or the Ukraine side. But the bottom line is tens of thousands, if not 100,000 plus people have lost their lives over the last two years, ultimately. And this could have been prevented uh, because Putin, you know, he was prepared for peace back in 2022, but Boris Johnson was sent out as, a, as an emissary to scupper that effectively by NATO. So this has resulted in the, the loss of so many lives. Exactly. And, and this, this is one of the other points we try and make. If Russia is such a great threat or is, uh, is a threat to such an extent that the Western politicians want it to be then the only thing uh, possible for the what russia uh, for sorry for the western politicians would be to say we're sending our military to ukraine to help defend ukraine we're sending our young men to help defend ukraine because we really really believe that russia is going to first take ukraine and then berlin and then mm -hmm. manhattan but yeah. since, since there is no one in the West saying that the Western young men should fight in Ukraine, it's obvious that they really don't fear a further Russian expansion. They just want to keep the proxy war going for profit and for geopolitical reasons. And while they're doing this, they're sacrificing at least two generations of Ukrainians. And it's just a deplorable policy.
Yeah. And also, of course, there's a lot of opportunists out there, Matt, uh, who can see the money to be made and, uh, you know, funneling funds into the so-called rebuilding of Ukraine. BlackRock aren't too far off the horizon talking about inv- billions are needed to rebuild Ukraine. So there's going to be a lot of money changing hands in the so-called rebuilding project if and when that ever kicks off on top of the amount of money that's been spent on armaments. Matt, we are up to time here. We're, we're about to reach the top of the hour. Oh, I just okay. want to give you a massive thanks uh, for coming on this morning. I know you're on holiday with your family, so appreciate you coming on. That's Matt's Nilsson. If you want, you can connect with Matt's on the X platform or Twitter at Matze Nilsson, M-A-Z-Z-E-N-I-L-S-S-O-N. A very Swedish name if ever I heard one. And Matt's, hopefully it won't be the last time uh, you're on uh, open line here on TNT Radio. So big thanks to you for that. Natalie, have an absolutely epic weekend. I know you're chomping at the bit, ready to dive in again on Monday morning already. I can get that vibe from you. So you go well, have a great weekend too. And I shall be back after the news with uh, plenty more on the table on Locked and Loaded TNT. Don't go away, we'll be right back. <laughs>